Welcome to When They Popped. Let's rewind to a simpler time together and dive deep into the music, movement, and mania behind our favorite Y2K celebrities and trends. Hosted by Kelsey and Mary, it's time for another episode of When They Popped. Hello, and welcome to When They Popped. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Mary. And everyone, please excuse my voice today. I'm still recovering from the Eras Tour monsoon from a few weeks ago. It really took me out. But we just have a few housekeeping items to get through before we start today. Housekeeping. <laughs> housekeeping. We're so grateful for our loyal listeners and those of you who have enjoyed reliving Y2K moments with us. So we have some questions and we want some answers from you. First things first, we obviously have the intention of continuing to crank out weekly episodes for you, obviously pending crazy life events, illnesses, tech problems, etc. We put a lot of time and research and effort into these episodes. A lot of time goes into the editing as well. You guys would be alarmed how many times I say um in a sentence. It's honestly <laughs> alarming and it just like takes hours to take it all out. You would also probably be appalled by how many times Kelsey and I go off on like random tangents and it's just appalled. Appalled. appalling. It is appalling. <laughs> so our beloved besties and listeners, we are curious how interested you all would be in some sort of Patreon subscription element of this podcast where we Put up mini episodes, not based on any specific cadence, but more revolving on what is happening in the Y2K pop culture world. But this would be unfiltered and unedited. Sometimes it might be one of us. Sometimes it could be both of us. For example, there have been a few moments in the last few months I've really wanted to rant to you all about what's been going on with Britney, or Kelsey and I wanted to spend more time discussing the Backstreet Boys 30th anniversary plans. I even cut out my entire reaction to the Eras tour because we just didn't have the time to fit it in in our standard episode outline and still do our Y2K king or queen justice. So bottom line, would you guys like that? Would you subscribe? Would you pay a couple bucks a month to get exclusive access to more Kelsey and I? unedited takes, maybe even potentially some limited merch. You know our logos are cute AF. So we'll perhaps hand-tie-dyed merch. <laughs> Ooh, hand-tie-dyed by Kelsey herself. She is so good at that. But just wanted to get your all's take. We'll do a poll maybe on Instagram because ultimately we, we want to do what you all want. We don't want to waste our time. I can continue just venting to my pug about what's going on with Brittany. <laughs> I'll be fine. We just want to know if you'd be interested. So let us know. Number two and final item on the housekeeping list. We just want to remind and encourage everyone to continue to rate us five stars and review us on whatever platform you opt to listen to us on. To up the ante, we are going to start picking out and reading positive reviews we get from here on forward. We will shout you out. Thank you on the episode because we appreciate you and your time and any of our fellow besties who takes the time to say something kind deserves some damn love as well. Mary, <laughs> I feel like we need a name for our listeners. I was going to say poppers, but my husband told Ooh. me that there are some alternative meanings for that. Yes, yes, I think it is. So I've used Y2K heads and I've used besties. I'm not very creative, so I'm going to leave that one to Kelsey. Maybe we can also outsource that to our listeners. What do you guys want to be called? <laughs> what can we call you? But yeah, so housekeeping over. No more cleaning of the house today. Without further ado, today's episode is a special one. And we wanted to take the opportunity to discuss the acting chops of a queen we have mentioned on here before and will probably continue to discuss in the future as there's so much that she contributed to this era. Today, Kelsey and I wanted to discuss our favorite Lindsay Lohan movie roles over the years. Full disclaimer, we do not own or claim to own the rights to the songs or performances in this episode. The purpose of these clips is for commentary and critique. 
Don't worry, we know LL has a lot of incredible films that we weren't even able to touch on because of time. Once again, time. And also, she has a bumping discography that I feel we will discuss it in an entire episode because it deserves its own episode. I'm tired of rumors starting. <laughs> Honestly, her ankle bracelet deserves its own episode, but we're going to keep today just focused on her movies. And we even touched a little bit on the Lindsay Hillary Duff controversy of it all in our last episode. And that too is probably deserving of its own episode, but we had to put limits on ourselves somewhere. So maybe we should do like a whole episode on Y2K tabloid wars. I like where your head's at, Kels. But before Kelsey leads off with her picks, let's just do a quick little background our darling little Lindsay Lohan began her career as a child model with Ford at the mere age of three. She modeled for Calvin Klein Kids and Abercrombie and appeared in over 60 television commercials for brands like Pizza Hut and Wendy's. She even did a jello spot with uh, Bill Cosby. Oh, it's sad that I have to say it like that. So this was all before Lindsay had even landed a movie. And by the age of 10, she played... Allie Fowler in a television soap opera, Another World. Never heard of it, but I don't know anything about soap, so I'm not surprised. At that time, Soap Opera Magazine wrote about Lindsay, and they said she was already considered a show business veteran, which, I mean, she had been in the industry for seven years at that time. She stayed on with Another World until 1998. And that is when it all changed at a mere 11 years old. And that is when she landed the ever iconic and pivotal role in her career, The Parent Trap. Literally, it is insane that this was Lindsay's first movie. Like, this movie. Oh, my God. So, Mary, you know that I have siblings. I'm a traumatized but proud middle child. But every year that I went to sleepaway camp, I had this enduring dream that I would meet a long-lost twin sister. And I don't know why I thought I even wanted one because... I like to be the center of attention. I don't know how I would do it in a Mary-Kate and Ashley situation, but long-lost twin sisters were the hottest trend of 1998, and this movie is why. Did you have that dream too, Mare? This movie just opened so many dreams for me. You have no idea. Like owning a vineyard in Napa, having Meredith Blake's wardrobe. <laughs> this movie also forced me to look differently at sewing needles and apples forever. I will never not see an apple wedge and not think of her getting her ears pierced in her little cabin. So The Parent Trap is a remake of the 1961 movie, which featured Haley Mills as the starring role of the two sisters. Did you ever see the original, Mary? I grew up watching the original. My parents got me into the old movies while I was really young. I loved the original, but this is a compliment I will rarely give, but I think the remake absolutely blew the OG out of the water. Okay, I'm so glad that you've seen the original too. My mom loved it. So we would watch it anytime it was on TV. And as you know, the 1998 version is very similar to the original, but there are some obvious differences too, especially in the beginning during the camp scenes. First and foremost, the pranks that they play on each other are a little different. And in the 1998 version, the movie spends a lot more time developing that relationship between Annie and Hallie, where they're fencing rivals. Whereas in the original 1961 version, the girls just don't like each other because they have the same face. And they, we don't see as much of that relationship development where Annie and Hallie grow to have this genuine warmth towards one another. The original also mostly takes place at the dad's ranch. And the 1998 version moves things around a lot. And 
The original has a musical number in it. It's called Let's Get Together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was an original song written for the movie, and it was performed by Haley herself, and it became a huge hit, even on the radio in 1961, which is kind of cool. Let's get As a little nod to the original, a little Easter egg, if you will, Hallie hums the song when they're in the hotel before the big reveal with their dad when he reveals that both Annie and Hallie are there. Mm-hmm. There's two of you? <laughs> so Nobody's Angel, love this, covered the Let's Get Together song in 1998 for the reboot movie soundtrack, which is just freaking lols. I love it so much. <laughs> I remember seeing this movie and being like, oh, my God, that song is in the other movie about long lost twins. Clearly, I wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. (laughs) So the other obvious nod that I did pick up on while watching it when I was younger was when we meet Goldigger Meredith, parents at the hotel. So in the original, the Meredith evil girlfriend character's name is Vicky, and she's played by Joanna Barnes. And in the 1998 version, when Hallie is introduced to Meredith's parents, we see that Meredith's mom is Joanna Barnes, the original fiancé. And she delivers the iconic line to Hallie, you can call me Aunt Vicky. (laughs) The way that I still say that in everyday conversation, I really should be stopped. But I think one of the reasons why when I was younger that I didn't totally get that this was a remake was because the names in the new version are also totally different. Even the sisters in the original were named Susan and Sharon. But in the 1998 Lilo version, they're Hallie and Annie. And I found that that's because Nancy Myers, who directed the movie, renamed the characters after her own daughters. And Hallie and Annie have small roles in the parent trap. The real ones. The real Hallie and Annie. Hallie played a camper named Lindsay. And Annie was the young woman at the pool who brought Elizabeth the first aid kit when Nick is like so stunned and like falls in the pool. (laughs) I feel like everybody knows the story and the plot, but just uh, (laughs) quickly jog your memory. Two girls go to sleepover camp only to find out that they are long lost twin sisters, but their parents had a breakup so bad that they each took one kid and hauled ass to opposite ends of the world. Annie went with her wedding dress designer mom to London and Hallie to her hot dad. Yes, Dennis Mm -hmm. Quaid is hot. Get over it. Yes, he is. Hot Dad's Vineyard Estate in Napa. So the girls switch places when they find out this huge secret while they're at camp. They go home to meet the parent they had never had. And also the grandparents. And we can't poke holes in the plot here because if we do, we'll never be able to get over the initial whole reason for the movie. But like as an aunt, if anybody tried to take my baby niece away from me, I'd say rot in hell. Or if I found out that my sister got to hang out with a secret grandpa that I never even knew about, like Annie had a grandpa in London. I would be so jealous. First of all, I feel like grandpa gets lost in this. There's some Mm -hmm. grandpa erasure happening here. But anyways, Hallie gets to stick her head out the window of a nice car while driving around London. Well, there she goes, plays. So (laughs) I feel like that makes up for it. And it's peak cinema right there. So Annie, who's pretending to be Hallie, goes to Napa where she finds out her dad is engaged to Meredith Blake, who's 26 years old and wants to send Hallie to boarding school in Switzerland, which I don't get why that is always used as a threat in movies. Like, I would be thrilled to go to Switzerland under almost any circumstance. 
So the two make a plot to break up Hot Dad's wedding to evil troll Meredith and reunite their parents and make them fall in love again. So I know this movie up and down. I know you do too, Mary. But there were some (laughs) fun little behind-the-scenes facts that I thought our listeners might be into. So let's chat through some fun little facts about this movie that is arguably one of Lindsay's finest roles, even though it was her very first. So before they even decided on Lilo as the leading lady, the role of Hallie and Annie saw so many star-studded auditions. Scarlett Johansson, Michelle Trachtenberg, Jenna Malone, and Mara Wilson, and Misha Barton, Marissa Cooper herself. And in order for Lindsay to play both Hallie and Annie, each scene was filmed twice. Lindsay would film one part with a stand-in, and then they would restage the entire scene, and she would have to go play the other twin. And after filming the first take, Lindsay would be given an earpiece so she could hear the dialogue that she previously recorded as the other twin. That is so much work for a baby actress. Yeah, like at 11 years old or, you know, 32 years old, that's really hard. It really shows how talented Lindsay was and is at such a young age. And like the faith that they had to have in her. The movie came out when she was like 11 years old. So I think when they filmed it, she was still only 10 years old. That's brand new double digits. The fact that this was her first movie, it's really amazing. And there's no wonder why she had such a successful movie career after this. Anyways, back to our fun facts. Obviously, everyone remembers the scene when the lizard is on Meredith's head. (laughs) And to film this, they did a mix of a real lizard, a toy lizard, and a CGI lizard. Obviously, we know that it's like CGI when it goes in her mouth. But like at some point, they put a real lizard on her face. That's kind of badass. I want to talk about Chessie for a second. I have some fun facts about Chessie. So Chessie was named after a decorator who was a friend of Nancy Myers. And even... Lisa Ann Walter, who plays Chessie in the movie, thought that she was playing someone named Jessie when she first got the role. The name, I think, was very confusing to people. I always thought it was Jessie. I only recently learned it was Chessie. Like, I don't know. There's some name controversy there. Another fun fact, the actress who plays Chessie, Lisa Ann Walter, three years after they filmed the movie, she had identical twin boys and they were born on October 11th, which is the same day that Hallie and Annie are born in the movie. That's their birthday. Isn't that so cute? Oh my my gosh, that is kismet fate. I I'm know, right? Wow. I like freaking love that. Also, that emotional scene when Chessie realizes that it's actually Annie and not Hallie when she's like, can I hug her? Can I hug her? <laughs> that scene took 73 takes to get what? right. 73 takes and it was filmed over several days like that is insane oh my god you would think 73 takes to get a stunt you know an intricate stunt but i guess they were really looking to get the emotion of that scene and they did such a good job it's so emotional i feel like it'd be like uh fire me like this is insane some other fun facts Lindsay's brother michael played the young boy who accidentally gets sent to camp walden thinking it was an all-boy summer camp do you remember that (laughs) he's like mom yeah. Yes. He's calling his mom to come pick so him up. Cute. I know. It's so cute. You also see her mom and her sister at the airport scene when Martin is picking up Annie. So it was kind of cute that they did these little like hidden gems. Nancy Myers is real children and Lindsay's real family. It's super cute. I also didn't know this at the time, but there was originally a scene where Hallie, when she's Annie in London, meets Queen Elizabeth after stopping to see Buckingham Palace. They deleted it from the movie, but like how hilarious. Wait, like she actually met the queen filming it? 
No, it was like an actress, but that oh, was oh. originally supposed to be in the movie. <laughs> oh my god, imagine if they had got the real Queen Elizabeth and they were like, sorry babe, you didn't make the cut. Toodles. I was like, what do you mean they cut it out? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> Alright, well let's talk about the handshake because I think most people our age spent multiple recesses learning it. I know <laughs> my two best friends spent a recess learning it and I felt really left out and victimized by it. So Simon Coons, who played Martin, and Lindsay came up with Ali and Martin's signature handshake themselves. And it oh, took wow. them two or three hours to create and learn the entire routine. Isn't that so sweet? I love that. That is so cute. Right? Like how much fun must it have been backstage for them to have done that together? Oh. I just think that's so adorable. And also yeah. side note, Simon originally auditioned to play a wedding photographer in the movie who had one line in the entire film. But Nancy immediately was like, no, like, he's our Martin. And I just can't imagine him being played by anybody else. Oh my God. Him and his Speedo. I, I he's know. amazing. I know. The whole thing is so good. Mary, I want to hear some of your favorite moments from the movie. Meredith Blake is such a highlight for me. First change I make is to send that toothpaste little brat off to boarding school in Timbuktu. She plays that role perfectly. It's also like crazy to think she's supposed to be younger than us now in that movie. Like I just I know. <laughs> it's just bizarre to wrap your head around. I love how she always refers to their dad as Nikki. That moment when she wakes up in the middle of the lake on the air mattress that used to have me in like a fit of giggles back in the day. And <sighs> And then the fact that she was to Nick, she was like, it's either them or me. And we're all sitting there like, duh, bitch. She's going to take his twin daughters. Like, what are you even asking? Like, love the pranks. H-E-M, them. Literally, let me spell it out for you. Iconic moment. I also love the pranks they do at the camp early on in the film before, like, the girls become friends. I always wish I could have pulled off, like, a prank with the whipped cream and the... The balloon filled with chocolate. Yes. It was so intricate. Clearly not done by children, but I just loved it so much. I also love when Elizabeth James is an oh absolute God. hot mess express at the hotel and like drunk as fuck and getting so <gasps> nervous as she's like getting ready to see Nick again for the first time in 11 years. And then Nick falls in the pool when he does see her. Like I just could go on and on because this movie has so many special hilarious moments. Oh my God, that drink. It looks like it's like a V8. It's like red. Oh yeah. And he's like, this will cure your hangover. But I just wanted to be Elizabeth James so badly. <laughs> What's your favorite moment? I think it has to be the wedding dress photo shoot scene. Like the top hats. Like oh. what? When she's like, the white one or the black one? And Lindsay's like, the white one. Also, <laughs> did you know that the wedding dresses in that scene were supposed to be like obviously Elizabeth's design. They were designed by Vera Wang. I had no idea, but now I understand why they look so damn chic. So chic. I have class and you don't. I just <laughs> really love everything about this movie and it's such a comfort watch for me. It makes yeah. me so sad that Natasha Richardson passed away and I hope someone learned something new from our little fun fact dump. Well, you did a great job. Definitely a perfect one to lead right off with and I haven't met anyone who doesn't like this movie. Right. If you don't like it then that means that we have class and you don't so <laughs> after the huge success of the parent trap we were gifted with arguably one of the better made for tv movies of our time life size 
So this was a fast follow to the parent trap. When reading about this, Kelsey, did you know that Lindsay didn't have to audition for her role of Casey in this movie? The producers of the film offered her the role as part of a three-picture contract she landed with Disney. Queen behavior at the age of 14. Yeah, I feel like Parent Trap opened so many doors for her and made her one of those people who like didn't have to audition anymore because she was just so talented. So I freaking love Life Size. So... This is Lindsay in Leading Lady Glory. We get Tyra Banks and we get a musical number that is really just too special to put into words. So this movie premiered in the year 2000. So Lindsay's what, 12 years old? And it was directed by Mark Rosman, who right after Life Size directed the made-for-TV movie Model Behavior. Do you remember Model Behavior with Justin Timberlake and Kathy Lee Gifford? Yes. It's so good. This is also a movie about two girls who meet and find out that they have the same face, not unlike the parent trap, except they are more like stranger doppelgangers. And I digress. But Mark also directed mm-hmm. 2004's A Cinderella Story. Shout out to our Liz Maguire episode. And 2005's The Perfect Man another movie starring Hilary Duff. He also directed a bunch of episodes of Disney Channel shows like Lizzie McGuire and even Stevens. So chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen his work. Okay, back to Life Size. So here's a little refresher of the plot. So Lindsay plays this girl named Casey Stewart, who is the quarterback of her school's seventh grade football team. (laughs) That's right. Girls can play football too suck it boys so her mom died a few years ago and she'll do anything to bring her back so she goes to the super sketch bookshop and finds a super sketch book that has this passage around how to resurrect the dead this sounds super dark but it turns glittery pink in one second so stay with me so casey follows the book's instructions to bring her mom back to life and one important step to do so is to collect her mother's possessions including locks of her mom's hair that were left in her hairbrush but everything goes awry when casey's dad's co-worker and his crush her name is drew gives casey an eve doll for casey's birthday Eve is basically a Barbie. She's got lots of jobs and corresponding outfits, and she's from a town called Sunnyvale, and everyone is her special friend. Well, Casey, who is on the football team, freaking hates the Eve doll, so she unboxes it and throws it in her room. She's like, Drew, girl, what are you doing? I don't like you, and I don't like this weird gift you got me for my birthday. But later that night, Drew sees the Eve doll that she had gotten for Casey in her room, all disheveled, like thrown in the corner, and Drew's like, oh my god, Eve, you look all disheveled, you poor doll. So Drew brushes Eve the doll's hair with Casey's dead mom's hairbrush that was set up on her altar ready for the spell that she was going to do later that night. So unbeknownst to Casey, when she does her spell later that night, she has no idea that Eve the doll's hair is on the hairbrush. So the spell brings Eve to life and not Casey's mom. Zambatarka ish to neberim. I say this when I want something to happen good to me. So also like not to split hairs here because uh, like we said before, if we start poking holes in a plot, it will just never stop. But if this spell is about resurrecting somebody, wouldn't that imply that Eve was once alive? Like, isn't that so creepy to think about? Like all dolls being like people trapped. I don't know. It's really weird. So anyways, 
Casey wakes up the next morning to find Eve in her bed in full life-size human form. It's so fun. Hijinks ensue. Eve makes everybody the best version of themselves with her kindness and her empathy. She helps Casey eventually open up about missing her mom and says it's okay to be sad. You don't have to be such a tough football girl all the time. But Eve eventually decides that she needs to get back to Sunnyvale because she sees other Eve dolls going on clearance. And she's like, (laughs) I got to go save myself. Sunnyvale needs me. So some of the (laughs) moments that jump out to me from this movie are when Eve is like learning that she's a human now and how she acclimates. There's this one scene where they're at the mall and Eve picks up every piece of brightly colored clothing and she just stands in front of this beautiful like mirror that you'd see in a dressing room and she just goes, okay, dress me. Okay, dress me. And then there's this like amazing montage of Eve trying on all these amazing looks while Bewitched plays. And you could do anything while Bewitched is playing in the back and I will drink it up. There's this other scene where Eve gets a job as a secretary because, you know, she's like a Barbie. She has all these different jobs. She can do literally anything as long as she has the right outfit on. And she's literally just typing in a Word doc, just smiling at the computer, (laughs) typing, typing, typing. There's a bunch of like gifts around it. Or there's this other scene where Eve thinks that she can stop a barreling truck in mid highway just by extending her hand out because there's, of course, a police Eve. And then there's my favorite scene of all time is when she eats pads of butter out to lunch because she doesn't know what they are and she's never eaten before. That's like the first thing she's ever eaten. This movie is just fantastical and sweet and it teaches us about loss and moving on. And what's more poignant than that? There was also a sequel 18 years later called Life Size 2, A Christmas Eve, (laughs) LOL, which premiered on December 2nd, 2018 on Freeform, and Tyra Banks reprised her role as Eve. So yeah, those are my two favorite Lilo movies, and I really can't wait to get into the ones that you picked, Mare. Let's get into them. Another Disney remake, our second of the list thus far, that's based on Mary Rogers' 1972 novel of the same title. And the title is Freaky Friday, if I didn't lead with that. (laughs) It was was Disney's actual third film adaption of that novel after the 1976 film starring Barbara Harris and Jodie Foster and the 1995 made-for-TV film starring Shelley Long and Gabby Hoffman. I never saw the 76 one, like the Jodie Foster one, but I loved Ugh. the Shelley Long one. Oh. Shelley just always reminded me of like Phoebe from Friends. I don't know why. Maybe it was like on TV or something, but I loved it. This remake obviously stars two icons, Jamie Lee Curtis as Mother Tess and Lindsay Lohan as her daughter, Anna, whose bodies are switched by a mysterious and magical Chinese fortune cookie. This is meant to teach them a lesson. They're not getting along and not really appreciating each other's mutual struggles or interests. They're not hearing the other one. They're both kind of self-absorbed and they needed this. What an incredible plot and storyline. So relatable. And then we also had the Chad Michael Murray cast to play Anna's love interest, Jake. And this just had instant classic written all over it. Filming occurred between October and December of 2002, and the film was released in theaters on August 6, 2003. It grossed over $160 million worldwide on a budget of only $26 million. So that's a huge commercial success. I read that this movie was Lilo's highest grossing movie of all time. This is like the big one for her. Wow. I would have lost a lot of money on that. 
I would have I would have bet Mean Girls. I mean, I knew this was huge, but I thought Mean Girls was huger. Mean Girls didn't have the immediate success that Freaky Friday did. I think Mean Girls took some time to catch on and then yeah. like we all rented it or bought it and watched it every day of high school. Literally every single day of high school. Literally. Yes. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get there. Okay, so and additionally received really positive reviews from critics who praised the performances of both Jamie Lee Curtis and our girl Lindsay. No duh. Obviously, they were incredible together and they had great chemistry. The film earned JLC a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress and snub alert, but at least she was nominated. Here's a few fun facts behind the scenes because that's what we do here. Initially, they wanted Jodie Foster who played Annabelle or Lindsay's role in the original 76 film to come back and play the role of the mother, which, okay, fair. That would have been kind of like a cool callback to the original. Yeah. However, Jody declined, obviously, and she cited concerns that her casting would draw away attention from other elements of the film. You know, it'd just be this big to-do about Jodie Foster reprising her role. And I get and respect that as well. I wonder if she has regrets now. And JLC was offered the role of Tess at the last minute after Annette Benning, who had originally been cast, dropped out for undisclosed reasons four days before shooting began. So really leaving them in the lurch there. Also, Kelly Osborne was originally set to play Maddie, which is one of the, the best friends. Um, the yes, rocker. the girl in the band. But she withdrew when Sharon was diagnosed with cancer, which I totally understand. So she was replaced by Christina Vidal. Finally, my mom's celeb crush and Magnum PI star Tom Selleck was originally cast as Ryan, JLC's new future husband in the movie. But he also dropped out when Annette Benning dropped out. So four days before shooting, it's like, stick to your guns, Tom Selleck. Yeah. Come on. Ever heard of a commitment? I feel like it would have been too much star power if Tom Selleck was in that. Like, Ryan's kind of this, like, secondary character. And if Tom yeah. Selleck was playing him, I'd be like, oh, my God. It all worked out for the best, but few little fun cameos, just like in The Parent Trap. Mark McClure, who played the love interest in the 1976 film, makes a brief cameo as Boris the Delivery Man. Also, there's these snapshots in the opening credits of like JLC and a daughter. It's actually her daughter, Annie Guest, and they're mm -hmm. like posing when they're young. It kind of shows pictures of them growing up. And in the final scene, once again, Dina Lohan makes an appearance as one of the wedding guests at JLC's wedding. I totally missed her in that. Oh my God, at this yeah. Dina needs her SAG card. Finally, the director, Mark Waters, also has a cameo holding a baby at the wedding. So everybody's getting their moment. Lindsay's character, Anna, was originally written as goth, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but she didn't like that. And she didn't think anyone would be able to relate to that. And so she decided to dress in like a preppy style for her audition. And the character ended up being rewritten as more of a grunge alt rock teen type. I low-key was not that girl growing up, but I loved LL's style and vibe in this movie so much. She just like embraced and rocked literally this role. It was a nice contrast between like the mom vibe she needed to convey. And I freaking loved all the music too. It was very like peak Good Charlotte era for me. <laughs> oh, don't worry. We are getting there too. This soundtrack was a banger. But so an actual musician named Ryan Shuck coached JLC to play the guitar solo for the concert scene. And also Lilo trained for one year to learn to play the guitar before production. However, in the final version of the film, both JLC's and LL's guitar parts were overdubbed by professional studio musicians. 
womp womp. I would low key be so pissed if I spent a year learning to play guitar for this one role and then they just didn't use it. But whatever. I'm with you. That would suck. But at least they look so good when they're doing it. I mean, their job isn't to play the guitar belts to look like they play the guitar well. So mission accomplished. They still did a great job. Very true. But Kelsey, was this movie as life-changing for you as it was for me? We've just been re-watching it and it was just such a well-done film by Disney. Again, one of those movies that every member of the family can find something that they love. It's gender and age-defying. I love it. It wasn't my favorite Lindsay Lohan movie, but I agree. I see the appeal. Let's talk about the chat of it all. Chad, Michael Murray, obviously played Lindsay's love interest in this movie, Jake. And he did an interview on Busy Tonight in which he revealed that he was actually Lindsay's first kiss when the actress was 16. Chad went on to say that, quote, Jamie Lee Curtis was there and she was trying to settle the situation because Lindsay's nerves were all over the place. And she's talking to Lindsay like, just kiss him. Come on, just give him a pop kiss. It's no big deal. Let's break the ice now. And then she goes, oh, come on. And she grabs me by the back of the head and makes out with me. And at this point, I went, dude, I just made up with Jamie Lee Curtis. This is great. Okay, end quote. Okay, end quote. But first of all, is anybody, and I think I can tell from Kelsey's audibles, Is anybody else surprised, firstly, that this was Lindsay Lohan's first kiss? There's obviously a narrative surrounding her that could have been totally wrong, but I definitely had my first kiss before 16. Also, she was dating Aaron Carter. I mean, she definitely gave Aaron Carter at least a Pack on the lips once. I mean, come on. I don't know. Maybe she I don't know. like full on like make out or maybe like on camera kiss. Camera oh, it has to be scary. that. Yeah. It, oh, my God. Okay. Thank you for bringing clarity into that because I was like, <laughs> there is no way he was her first kiss. I also thought that Lindsay and Chad were like dating during this movie, but I couldn't find anything really confirming that. But what I did find, though... And this is carrying over from our Hillary Duff episode in their feud that seemingly started with Aaron Carter. I read that Hillary attended this Freaky Friday premiere, which allegedly pissed off Lindsay. So she went and attended Hillary's Cheaper by the Dozen premiere. Hillary went on to say that prior to her film with Chad Michael Murray, a Cinderella story, Lindsay Lohan called him and talked a lot of smack about her and attempts to start production off on a bad foot. What do you think? I know. I can totally see why back then all of the drama, all of the hormones are making you (laughs) feel like territorial over everyone. And like Lindsay had her fun with Chad and now he's going with, you know, Hillary for a Cinderella story. Like I totally see why that would cause some tension. Interesting. We do need a full episode on some feuds, I think. But speaking of Chad, I would be remiss if I did not mention the infamous scene of him trying to win Tess back, aka Jamie Lynn Curtis, who at the time is actually Anna. Anna's in her body. And he is in front of the family home screaming baby one more time. And Anna, who has Jamie Lynn Curtis in her body at the time, comes charging out and legit linebacker tackles him so Ryan doesn't hear it. I just love the homage to Brittany and just remember losing my shit laughing watching this entire scene play out. He's like screaming at the top of his lungs and Lindsay Lohan looking like a mom. She has like a scarf around her neck and like she just does not look like herself. Just like sprints out there with her head down and tackles him to the ground. One of my faves. Why hasn't anyone done this for me? Mm -hmm. Ladies take (laughs) notes. No, no, because... My loneliness 
is killing me. And I, I must confess, I still believe, still believe. Take if notes. he wants to, he will, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, in true fashion, I would also be remiss if we did not at least mention a few of the iconic tracks from the movie soundtrack, because this one had bangers. We got Lindsay Lohan's Ultimate. You're it. You're the ultimate. It's automatic. I'm sure of it. Also, her band song, Take Me Away. I thought that was a pretty good song. We also got Simple Plans take on the classic Turtle song, Happy Together. Lilix's cover of What I Like About You. Bowling for Soups, Baby One More Time. And American Hi-Fi, The Art of Losing. I love this song and I found it from this movie. And also Ashley Simpson's Just Let Me Cry. Like, That's the only place that song is. That song is nowhere else. And it's a really good Ashley Simpson song. This is such a great soundtrack. And I love how they covered a lot of the older songs with like newer, hotter groups of the time. Again, another way to appeal to all members of the family. Did you immediately purchase the soundtrack like myself? I don't know if I had the soundtrack, but Simple Plan was like, oh my God, I'm a dick. I'm addicted to Oh my God. And Lilix. Wow, that really just like brings me back to such a specific time in my life. <laughs> I love Lilix. I wonder what they're up to. But a few other of my personal favorite moments. I love JLC's Crypt Keeper line. Oh, I'm like the Crypt Keeper! <laughs> and her whole fun sucker spiel. Well, it's easy to be you. I'll just suck the fun out of everything. I do not suck the fun out of everything. Fun sucker. I just feel like I relate to that line more now. I don't know. I just I you're feel like a fun sucker, Mary. When I don't let Otis go to the park, he looks at me like I'm a fun sucker. Oh, it's okay. But the ladies embrace their roles so well in this movie. Like when Lindsay is performing with the band at the House of Blues. But she has Tess in her body and she's just like so clueless and out there like trying to perform and dance on stage. It's just like they both did such a good job like portraying the other. And there's too many favorite moments for me in this movie. Do you have any favorite moments that I haven't touched on? Probably just like the wedding scene. I liked her dress. I thought she looked so pretty. Like her hair in this movie is so iconic. Like the really stripey, chunky Uh highlights. It's just so, it's just so good. That purple dress from the wedding scene is like, where is it? Give me that dress right now. So good. um, Okay, so now let's just touch on the dynamic between Jamie Lynn Curtis and Lindsay because they go beyond the movie screen. And when Lindsay came out of rehab in 2011, it was said that one of the first people to show their support for her was JLC. And while their relationship may appear to be odd because of their age difference, the two have a lot more in common than the public may realize As it turns out, Jamie Lynn Curtis battled and beat her addiction to drugs, a feat that she has been 
quoted as calling the single greatest accomplishment in her life. And she apparently really showed up for Lindsay while others enabled or just simply were not there for her. And just personal side note, I just love their relationship over the years and especially recently. Jamie has been so vocal and supportive of Lindsay through all of her ups and downs and has never had anything to say negative about her. She's only praised her. And just recently she posted a picture of her on her Instagram. It's super cute. Second mom vibes. JLC calls Lindsay her quote-unquote film daughter. That's really sweet. I know. And so I think partially because of the success of the film, but also their dynamic, there's always been these kind of like sequel rumblings and hopes Mm -hmm. for this movie. And in October of 2022, Jamie Lee expressed enthusiasm about making a sequel with Lindsay after disclosing the two, you know, we're still in touch. That statement obviously created some buzz online and Jamie went on The View a few days later to say that she had already contacted Disney about it and shared a potential pitch. Like, okay, queen behavior, just pitching sequels to Disney. And in the following month, Lindsay also expressed her interest in returning for a sequel, stating that she would love to work with the people from the original movie again if she had the chance. And that right there, I think, is the key. These sequels need the originals to come back to have a remote prayer and chance at success, in my humble opinion. It's the OGs that need to be brought back together. So in November of 2022, JLC said they were in talks. They were talking to the studio. Everyone was committed to it. And then this year in May 2023, so this month, Jamie Lynn Curtis and Lindsay Lohan. Are we still in May? I don't know. What day is it? <laughs> but so in May of 2023, so this month, Jamie Lynn Curtis and Lindsay Lohan were both interviewed by the New York Times because the movie's turning 20 years old. And they spent they said that they would only make something that people would absolutely adore when asked about the sequel. So Disney literally like within the last two weeks or so just confirmed that a sequel is in the development, that a sequel is in development with Elise Holander writing the screenplay with Jamie Lynn Curtis and Lindsay Lohan expected to return. Oh my God. What do you think, Kelsey? We just got the confirmation from Disney. Remakes are scary because we obviously don't want them to crash and burn. But having the original cast would be a major step in the right direction. I know. I just wonder, like, what's the plot? Like, I do would they like switch to switch again for ooh, old times' sakes. <laughs> they have to, right? Like, because that's the plot. Or does Lindsay Lohan have like a granddaughter uh, now? So grandma yeah. switch places with the granddaughter or something, and then Lindsay's sort of like helping her through i don't know it'll be really interesting i'm with you i I think that having the original cast is like the most important thing like hocus pocus was so fun because everyone was back together didn't matter if the movie or the story wasn't that compelling because i just wanted to see those three witches back together the sanderson sisters (laughs) or like sex in the city the fact that samantha did not come back for and just like that it just immediately tarnished the entire show i did see though that samantha supposedly is coming back for a cameo in season two of and just like that but the credibility isn't there unless every single person is signed on we're gonna get into that a little bit for this next and final movie that we're discussing you know (laughs) you know we had to do it you know we had to discuss honestly this movie of our generation it really is the movie of our generation i cannot think of a movie that you drop so many lines from obscure weird dialogue and everyone in the room knows what you're saying and like thinks it's funny too you know it's like we're all on the same page for once (laughs) but yes 
for once, literally. But yes, this is our 2004 teen comedy film, Mean Girls, directed by Mark Waters, written by my idol, Tina Fey, and starring Lindsay Lohan, Rachel McAdams, Lacey Chabert, Amanda Seyfried. Side note, this was her film acting debut, which is pretty cool. And it's worth noting that Mean Girls was Lindsay's second collaboration with director Mark Waters, as the first was Freaky Friday, released a year before Mean Girls. So Lilo was not only working nonstop, but she also worked with Mark Waters on two of her most iconic films ever. I think they need to make another movie together because this is such a golden duo, clearly. But okay, oh my God, so much to unpack, so little time, but we need to do it because this movie is literally so impactful and longstanding. But first things first, I want to get into our memories a little bit about first seeing this movie and its legacy. Kelsey, take me to what you thought and where you were the first time you saw Mean Girls. This is going to sound bad, but I honestly don't remember the first time I saw it. I just remember it being the only thing that I would watch on sleepovers with my friends, being the <laughs> only thing that we would quote with each other. My friend Stephanie had really curly hair and this was, you know, the age of straightening your hair every day before yeah. school. I think we were in like eighth grade when it came out and she would yeah. watch Mean Girls and straighten her hair every single night. And we would talk on the phone and I would just like hear it through the phone. <laughs> like, we would just literally recite the movie, which sounds so weird, but like no. those are the best interactions ever when you're growing up. Like you're on the phone with your friend for hours and you say one <laughs> word every five minutes. <laughs> no, I know. Same. I remember seeing it with a group of my friends. I think my dad took us, which is like, oh Aww. my God, I probably was so embarrassed, but now it's adorable. But we took this movie very seriously. We saw it together opening nights and we were each given our roles. So I was Gretchen Wieners. And I, I think mostly because like I was the brunette. I think it was like of appearance similarities, but she was my character. But we came out with like outfit coordination rules for casual Fridays. <gasps> oh we, 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 took it, we took it a little too far, I think. But the movie was Bible. Let's get to some background. The screenplay is based in part on Rosalind Wiseman's 2002 book, Queen Bees and Wannabes which goes into the depths of female high school social cliques, bullying, and the damaging effect that cliques and bullying can have on teenagers. Tina Fey read the book and called SNL producer Lauren Michaels to suggest that maybe they should turn this into a film. Hmm, maybe. So Lauren contacted Paramount Pictures, who immediately purchased the right to the book, and Lauren was ultimately a producer on this film as well. Clearly some heavy hitters behind this flick. And as the book is nonfiction, Tina wrote the plot from scratch, borrowing elements from her own high school experiences. You all know this plot, tale as old as time, but in case we need a little refresh, the plot centers on a naive teenage girl and low-key nerd, Miss Katie Heron, spelled C-A-D-Y. <laughs> and she is navigating her way through the social hierarchy of a modern American high school after years of her parents homeschooling her while doing some research in Africa. So when her family moves to Illinois, Katie finally gets to experience public school and gets a quick primer on the cruel, tacit laws of popularity. And she obviously unwittingly finds herself in the good graces of an elite group of cool students dubbed the Plastics. But Katie soon realizes how her shallow group of new friends earned this nickname. Dun, dun, dun. 
But even before Mean Girls, I was such a Tina Fey stan. Like 30 Rock was such a comedic awakening for me in college. And to like learn that that was Tina Fey's brainchild and she basically created the whole concept and show, I just always been blown away by her talent and trailblazing. And the film continues to solidify her genius in my mind. It tracks. So filming took place from September to November 2003. So only three months. Wow. Mean Girls was released on April 30th, 2004. It grossed 130.1 million worldwide and has become a cult classic. Critics praised Mark Waters' direction, Tina Fey's screenplay, its humor, and the performance especially lauded was Lindsay and her acting. And she earned several accolades, including three Teen Choice Awards and three MTV Movie Awards. And in 2021, Lindsay's portrayal of Katie was listed as the 11th best performance of the 21st century by The New Yorker. Our girl is finally getting the flowers she deserves. Damn. That's a huge deal. It makes me really happy that this movie got so much recognition, too, because it's about teenage girls. And I feel like it's kind of surprising that it was taken so seriously. I know. Because I was never taken seriously as a teenage girl. (laughs) Hell no. All right. Some fun facts behind the scene deeds. Since Tina wrote the script based on her life, it makes sense that Tina actually named many characters after her real-life friends. The main character, Katie Heron, was named after Tina's college roommate, Katie Gare. Damien was named after Tina's high school friend, Damien Holbrook, who went on to become a writer for TV Guide. Glenn Coco is named after a friend of Tina's older brother. And the real Glenn Coco actually works as a film editor in L.A. Glenn Coco is real and out there. (laughs) He's out there. You go, Glenn Coco. BuzzFeed did like this whole like investigation into who played Glenn (laughs) Coco in 2013. Oh, my God. And we see his face when Gretchen is reading her, we should totally just kill Caesar. He's sitting directly in front of Lindsay Lohan. So BuzzFeed found out that it's this actor named David Real, and he's a Canadian actor who's appeared on Suits. He was in the U.S. version of Skins and he was also on a couple episodes of Queer as Folk. So fake Glenn Coco is also still out there to this day. Wow. So they're both thriving. We love that. Let's get into a little bit of the casting that went into this cult classic. So first of all, Lindsay first read for Regina George. But the casting team felt that she was closer to what they were looking for in the actress who played Katie. And Lindsay also had a bit of a fear that the mean girl role would harm her reputation. So she agreed to take on the Katie role. Lindsay was really going through it in the press at this time. So I understand why she had those fears. I also read that Freaky since Freaky Friday came out right before the movie that fans had accepted her as a family-friendly actress. Uh-huh. So seeing her in the role of this villain, I think fans would have sort of rejected that. That makes sense, too. So, so instead, Rachel McAdams was cast as Regina because Tina felt Rachel was so kind and polite, which made her perfect to play such an evil spirit and character, which I don't really get. But, you know, Tina knows what she's doing. <laughs> did you know she wore a wig the entire movie? I did know that, which is just so weird because it's like, why couldn't you just dye your hair? But I guess they just like couldn't get it right. It looks good. I mean, back then I didn't know it was a wig. I had no also, idea. But now looking back, I'm like, oh, that's kind of obvious. <laughs> so while the girls are all playing high school peers in the movie, Rachel was 26 years old and actually eight years older than Lindsay when filming began. Amanda Seyfried also read for Regina and the producers instead suggested her for Karen due to her spacey and dafty sense of humor. LOL. I hope that's not like an insult. But Evan Rachel Wood was offered a role in the film but turned it down. 
Blake Lively did final tests for the roles of Karen, but the producers decided to pass on her and keep looking. I saw also, that Scarlett Ash- Johansson also read for the role of Karen. Ooh, a lot of Karens. I don't know if I could have seen her in that. But Ashley Tisdale also auditioned for Gretchen Wieners, which I feel like I could have seen because it's just like a different version of Sharpay, like a chiller version of Sharpay. Almost like too similar, though. Yes, I think it's good that she didn't. Well, I don't know, because that was a really big film, but she'd be playing this like very similar role all the time. But the Gretchen Wieners, a.k.a. Lacey Chabert, was one of the last parts to be casted. Lacey had previously done the voice of Eliza Thornberry and also Meg on season one of Family Guy. Lizzie Kaplan, who plays Janice Ian, was first considered too pretty for the part, for which director Mark Waters felt a Kelly Osborne-like actress was necessary for the role. Which is kind of rude, but whatever. Um, But ultimately, (laughs) Lizzie was picked for being able to portray the raw emotion needed from Janice Ian. So whatever, it worked out. Tina wrote two roles specifically for her friends and fellow SNL alumni. Bestie Amy Poehler was cast as Regina's mom. And Tim Meadows was cast as the principal. Jonathan Bennett was a last-minute cast replacement after the actor originally slated to play Aaron Samuels got fired. Couldn't find anything on who that was or why, but I find that very interesting that he got fired last minute. Some drama, perhaps. Also, James Franco had previously been considered for that role as well. Tina's decision to hire Jonathan to play Aaron Samuels was due to his resemblance to her longtime friend and SNL co-star, Jimmy Fallon. Oh, that's cute. So the year is 2004, and as I had said, Lindsay had really been going through it in the press and was getting some flack and bad publicity for her partying ways and alleged difficult behavior on set. It didn't help her case when it was reported she actually missed the first few days of filming because she had contracted pink eye. Ah, was but it Friday? She was just wearing pink. Day. It must have been must have been Wednesday. Wednesday. But they used her stand-in to get a lot of the scenes scheduled for the first day's shot. However, she overcame this. She did not let that mar her performance as it was applauded by critics and generally considered one of her best. She was able to both come across as relatable and as a star, in my opinion. She was very vulnerable in this movie and just had incredible comedic timing. And I think this role really made her a list, but that's just my opinion. So let's get a little bit into the pop culture impact of Mean Girls. In 2022, Rolling Stone ranked the film as the 20th greatest comedy of the 21st century. October 3rd has been dubbed Mean Girls Day on social media, alluding to the line from Katie when she's sitting in math class with Aaron Samuels. It's October 3rd. Mariah Carey has come out and said several times that she's a huge fan of the film. Her 2009 single, Obsessed, begins with the interlude quote where she says, and I was like, why are you so obsessed with me? Based on our Regina George's line. And I was like, why are you so obsessed with me? Love that. Jonathan Bennett, a.k.a. Aaron Samuels, has released a cookbook inspired by the movie uh, in 2018 called The Burn Cookbook, Real Recipes to Feed Your Inner Plastic. 
Oh my I God, mean, do you think they have like a Caltine bar recipe? <laughs> oh my God, I totally forgot about the Caltine bars. There's like so much in this movie. When she I screams with it all in her teeth. I always yeah. eat those RX bars at the airport uh-huh. instead of like breakfast. It's just like easy and it's like protein. It yeah. always gets stuck in my teeth and I think I look like Regina George in that scene screaming. <laughs> I love it. I just love that they like did not make her look pretty. They like let her have all that shit in her teeth and it's just so good. And also... Of course, in 2018, Ariana Grande parodied the film in the music video for her song, Thank You, Next. And they reenacted that Jingle Bell rock dance with Kris Jenner playing the role of Amy Poehler, a.k.a. Regina's mom. So iconic. And on October 3rd, 2020, Katie Couric moderated a virtual cast reunion to reminisce about the film. It was the first time the entire cast had been together since the 2004 premiere. Okay, so now for some favorite moments. This was obviously tough because there are so many. Jingle Bell Rock. I just, I wanted to be in that dance so bad. I like bought a Victoria's Secret set, like a Santa set, (laughs) snuck it in my house that I thought like kind of looked like the ones they wore. I just thought it was so, ugh, I loved it so much. <laughs> what did you Porter. wear it to? Never. I never even, I like would wear it around my bedroom. Like, like, like hide never. it under your bed at night. Yes. That's so funny. Yes. That's literally what I did. And also, and as I said, Amy Poehler was like such a highlight for me. I I love her and Tina so much. She just ate up that role. I also loved the mathlete rap. Yo, yo, yo. Oh, you. Behind the scenes tidbit about that part where Kevin, I guess the actor just like wasn't killing it with the rap or Ah. Tina and Amy thought that maybe he needed like some pumping up before he filmed that scene. So they like recorded how they thought it should go with like beatboxing in their hotel room and then showed it to the actor who played Kevin before. And he was like, yeah, that really inspired my performance. Like, I don't know if I would have performed it the same way if Amy and Tina hadn't played it out for me. Isn't that so funny? Amy and Tina are like queens in the most serious sense. I know we use that term a lot, but they are so iconic. And I love that they inspired the Mathlete rap. Are you kidding me? Apparently like Lindsay was in the video too. So it was like Lindsay, Tina, and Amy beatboxing the mathlete rap to get him like oh really amped and excited for it. Like we need to find that video. That sounds amazing. But some more iconic lines. This is just a few because there's so many. That's so fetch. Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. That is so fetch. Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Or she doesn't even go here. She doesn't even go here. That so was on well my written. graduation cap. <laughs> Oh, really? See, look at that. Like, I graduated a semester early, but I got to walk with everybody else. So on my graduation cap, I said, she doesn't even go here. And I got in some like magazine for it. It Oh, my God. Of course you did. But everyone got it. No one was like, what the fuck? Like everyone got the reference. We're all on the same page for once. But it's just so well written by Tina. But also the actors did just such a great job bringing it all to life. Like, here's my example. So in September 2020, the Pillsbury Company released a limited edition of Toaster Strudel featuring pink icing and Mean Girls packaging to pay homage to its movie-claimed inventor's daughter, Gretchen Wieners. And I don't know why. Kelsey, this was like one of my favorite lines. Like, I can't explain it. Just Gretchen blib blah blibbing about her father. I don't think my father, the creator of Toaster Strudel. 
would be very happy. And I don't think my father, the inventor of toaster strudel, would be too pleased to hear about this. Something about that, like like her delivery makes it for me. I also loved the three-way call scene. Like, tell me that was not of the times. We used to do that Boo, all the time. Whore. I can't go out. <laughs> I'm sick. Boo, you whore. We would call the guy someone liked and have the girl on the phone and have them listen to what the guy said. Like, that was just something we did regularly. And the burn book scene, like Regina writing the part in the burn book. Don't her, her, trust her. Her, she yes. She is a fugly slut. Do not trust her. She is a fugly slut. Fugly slut. Like, that was a line, like... The Halloween party. Lindsay's Ugh. dress at the house oh party. It's like the Jessica McClintock, like <gasps> super tight black with like light pink satin. And then her bra straps Ugh. are showing. So hot. <laughs> it just fucking kills me. Did I miss any of your favorites? Okay, my favorite is when Damien goes, don't look at me before he sings <laughs> Christina Aguilera at the talent show. Yes. <laughs> And I read that the only person in the audience when he filmed that scene was his mom. <laughs> Wait, really? Like, isn't that crazy? That's so funny. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be able to act like that in front of my mom. I feel like I'd start laughing. I also uh, love all of Janice's lines. Like, it's been a month and all we've done is made her face smell like a foot. It's been a month and all we've done is make Regina's face smell like a foot. Or <laughs> your mom's chest hair. Last week, Janice, what's it made of? Your mom's chest hair. Like, I love that. I also uh, love Tina's roles when she's like, I push people. I'm a pusher. Because I'm a pusher. I push people. Pusher. I say that all the time. Husband does something that I that I know he doesn't want to do. I'm like, I'm a pusher, Katie. I push people. <laughs> push I literally. <laughs> yes. That is still in the rotation regularly. And people get it. It's not like questioned or you don't get weird looks. That's why it's so amazing. Obviously, a movie like this, also has a soundtrack that packs a similar punch. Great movies tend to come with great music. We get Milkshake by Khalees. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard and their life is better than yours. Overdrive by Katie Rose. Operate by Peaches. He's not dead, he's gone. Built This Way by Samantha Ronson. And I wonder if I'm just built this way. Cause every man that I know makes me feel like I'm to blame. Wink, wink. Why are we foreshadowing here? Mm. The music was chosen and utilized in this movie so perfectly. I could not have done it better myself. When Pass That Dutch by Missy Elliott is playing... While their plastic is doing their slow motion walk through the hallway. Like, I just couldn't take it. Okay. Now, before we wrap up, let's get into these sequel talks. In late September 2014, rumors swirled that Lindsay had pitched an idea to Tina for a sequel. Later that year, Lindsay, along with her other cast members, asked Tina to write a screenplay for it. Hello. Like, let's go. Obviously, nothing happened. And during an interview later in 2014, Tina admitted that she regretted not doing a sequel closer to the original release. So flash forward to December 2016, 
Lindsay again mentioned she was trying to pitch a sequel for Mean Girls with hopes of Jamie Lee Curtis and Jimmy Fallon appearing in the film. What? Freaky Friday. I know. Freaky Friday, SNL worlds colliding. Imagine that. But over the years, many members of the cast were asked about a sequel and literally everyone agreed and confirmed their interest and willingness to consider it. It basically hung on Tina and there wasn't really any movement on that front. In April 2020, Lindsay was once again asked about the sequel and admitted she had been hanging on to the idea of coming back to do the movie for a really long time, but it was out of her hands. And just a couple of days after that, Rachel McAdams chimed in and also expressed interest in reprising her role in the sequel, that she would be up for it as long as Tina was on board. Rachel was quoted saying, she's our master in chief on this one. So if she's into it, then I'm into it. The sequels need their original squads to just have like a prayer at success. This is why I we get... need to support writers. Like this is why everyone should be in favor of the writer's strike. <laughs> Right? We don't get anything good without writers. (laughs) In August of 2020, the director, Mark Waters, discussed an idea he had for the sequel where the main characters from the original film would now be young moms serving together in a parent-teacher association. Again, adding that the development is entirely up to Tina wanting to write the screenplay. I low-key love that idea that they're like PTA moms and out to get one another again. But Tina moving on. Yes. And finally... In August of 2022, Damien also talked about a potential sequel. He revealed he was writing his own script and would try to pitch it to Tina as they approached the film's 20th anniversary. I love the initiative and that energy we get from Damien. What do you think, Kels? Will we get a sequel? Were we meant to get a sequel? Or does this deserve to remain untouched and untainted? Honestly, maybe it's better to leave it. It was such lightning in a bottle. I'm not disappointed with what we have. I'll put it that way. I don't want to ruin its legacy. Right. Like Sex in the City literally ruined so much for me by keeping going. I feel like that was such a good example of like bad movies sequels. (laughs) I agree. Sex in the City movie too. If you like that movie, then we need to discuss. Yeah. Tell me why. Yeah. Tell us why. Because we don't understand. <laughs> I could talk about Mean Girls for the rest of our lives, Merit. We probably will. Mean Girls could have had its own episode, like, to truly delve into some of the lines. But we figured we'd just give you four amazing Lindsay movies. Yeah. So those were our favorite Lindsay moments. Thank you guys so much for listening. Leave us five stars should you feel so inclined if you like today's episode. And make sure to follow us on Instagram at When They Popped Pod because we post really fun memes and clips and behind the scenes stuff over there and make sure to look out for some polls about the structure of future episodes and also leave us a review and you might just get a shout out on our next episode and tell us what you guys want to hear next because we're always open to your suggestions thanks for listening bye love you so much thanks bye (laughs) (laughs) run for cover 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 Mm -hmm.